We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to continue the sermon series that I started last week, which is a title that we're calling it Don't Miss Your Moment. And we're talking about kind of a familiar passage. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you will have heard about a woman called the woman at the well. Nobody knows her name. We just call her by her location. She is the woman at the well. Sometimes your location says actually a lot about your life, says a lot about who you are. So it's almost like we don't need to know her name. We just know where she's at. And uh, last week we talked about the power of an encounter, that when God encounters this woman, when Jesus encounters this woman, it completely changes her life. And I believe that that's what God wants to do for each and every one of us. He wants, to, he wants us to have an encounter, not with religion, but with him, not with church, but with Jesus. He wants you to come into contact with him, because you can listen to my sermons, and, and they might encourage you for a day, but if you can ever meet Jesus Christ, I mean, if you can ever have an encounter with, it's, it's in the encounters with God that my life has been changed. I have, I, was, I have not been changed by a sermon. I have not been changed by a song. I have been changed by the presence of Jesus. And if, and if, and if you haven't experienced it, it's hard for me to explain it to you, except to say that, that when you come into his presence, there is a reality that comes over you, and you start to see your life differently than you used to see it. There's something about the way he speaks to us. There's something about the way that he encounters us and touches us that leaves us forever different. And so my, my hope and my prayer for each one of you is that as you get integrated into the city chapel, as you, as you get connected to the people of city chapel, I mean, you've got some lovely people, uh, connect with them. We have some good worship. Go ahead and sing along. We have some sermons. Um, shout amen every once in a while. Don't make me feel too bad. Uh, uh, but, but at the same time, I hope that you come to meet something more than just a Sunday show, something more than just a, a, prep, a prepared message, some prepared song, some prepared remarks, and then a prepared prayer for you to go off and go on with your day. I hope that you encounter Jesus because Jesus changes everything. His presence shifts the atmosphere. So you can, you can listen to sermons and go away and say, I, I just really want to follow God. I just, I just seem to not be able to. I just can't. His presence gives power that sermons don't give. His presence gives power that people can't give. Uh, it's not, you, you, can, you can even get some really good Christian friends and get around them and, and get involved in small groups. We hope that you do. But the purpose even of our small groups is so that you will encounter Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's all about meeting him. It's all about us revealing him. So you must encounter him. And this lady at the well, the woman at the well, has this encounter with Jesus, and, and she doesn't miss her moment. So we're going to read from John chapter 4, and we're going to read this entire story. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. We talked about that last week. He needed to go through Samaria. Now, the GPS didn't tell him to go through Samaria. God told him to go through Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria because of the need that was in the woman at the well. So God needed to do something because of a need that was in front of him. And so he literally went out of the way. We showed the, the high-quality map last week of how Jesus went to Samaria. He went out of the way. So, so help sometimes is on the way, but sometimes help will go out of the way to come to you, to find you exactly where you're at. And so he goes out of the way. He needs to go to Samaria, not because of the GPS, but because of a purpose, a mission. Now, uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, that's noon. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We talked, talked about that last week. Um, but the simple answer she's giving is no. I'm not going to get you a drink. <laughs> and Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and I got, I, I got kind of stuck on that last week. If you knew. I just find it interesting that Jesus presents this hypothetical situation. 
he, 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 he is all-knowing. He's, he, he's omniscient. Scripture says that he's all-knowing. He knows everything that there is to know. Um, but he also knows all contingencies. So not only does he know everything that has happened in times past and everything that will happen in the future, but he also knows what would happen if. Like all of the what ifs that you have in your mind, that's usually where regret is found in all of the what ifs. But God actually knows all of the ifs. He knows all of the what ifs. And he explains this to her. He says, he says if, if you knew the gift of God, sometimes, sometimes what you know coming into an encounter with God enables you to seize your moment. Now, she's missing her moment. Jesus is telling her that. He says, lady, look, I know I'm asking you for water, but if you knew the gift, if you knew that it wasn't something that you earned, if you knew that, that, that salvation was not something that you competed for and earned and had to develop, if you knew that it was a gift, you would have asked. He says, if you knew the gift, and the second thing he says, if you knew the gift and if you knew who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have. If you knew, you would have. If you knew the gift and who, you would have asked. You would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Jesus sets up for her a contingency. He sets up for her what he knows is possible for her. She's not even aware of this. She's not even thinking about this because she doesn't know the gift. All of her life has been about striving and trying to earn something. She also doesn't know who he is. So to her, he's a homeless, thirsty, hungry guy without a bucket at a well. And, and, and we, we talked about that last week, how, how strange it is that God, who is Jesus, who is the water of life, he is water of life, he is abundant life, he is fullness of life, yet he looks like he's thirsty. So, so the water of life is thirsty. So the guy who is actually rich on the inside looks poor on the outside. Meanwhile, this other lady who is actually poor on the inside, she looks pretty well on the outside. And that's, that's often the way that it is. People come to church looking pretty well, pretty dressed up, like they have things together, but they don't. They're thirsty. They're dry. They're desperate. They don't even know how they're going to make it through the week. They're not sure their marriage is going to last to the next anniversary. They, they don't even know if their kid's going to be alive next Sunday. Like, like you don't know the quiet desperation that sometimes uh, looks, looking like you have a bucket and you're at the right place at the right time with the right bucket. Everything looks good for you, but you are actually oftentimes we are the poor ones and God makes himself look poor so that he can give her a visual demonstration of how she actually is on the inside and she sees him have you ever seen somebody and said yeah that's exactly how I feel <laughs> you look exactly how I feel <laughs> I don't look how I feel but you look how I feel <laughs> like I know how you feel dude because you look exactly like that's Jesus is providing her a visual demonstration of how her soul is he looks thirsty he's not really poor he looks poor he looks homeless he's actually not he's a king but, but he made himself like a pauper in order to come talk to paupers who are trying to make themselves look like kings. <laughs> and he steps into that situation and he starts talking to her about water and she says, I'm not giving you anything. And then he flips the script and says, actually, if you knew the concept of the gift of God, but also if you knew me, you would have asked and I would have given. I wonder how many if and would have statements God has over us. I wonder if he could walk through the aisles today. We've got some extra aisles today just, just to mess with your heads. I wonder if he would just walk through the... I wonder if he could put a, a hand on your shoulder. I wonder what his if-then statement would be. I wonder what... Sometimes it's like she, she didn't know. It's not, it's not like if you weren't such a loser, if you weren't this. It's, it's knowledge. It's all about knowledge. She said, if you knew the gift, and if you knew who I was, you would have. Sometimes what you know going into an encounter affects your ability to seize the encounter. Your ability to see affects your ability to seize. Sometimes we miss our moment because we can't see it, because we're not, we're not aware of what we ought to be aware of. We don't know. 
And so what I want to do for you today is I want to help you know. I want to, I want to fill your head with some, with some knowing. I want, I, want to, I, want, I want to elaborate upon what Jesus is talking about. That if you knew who, you would ask and he would give. If you knew who, if you knew who. Jesus says in the book of Revelation, he calls himself the Alpha and the Omega, which means um, the, that, that's Greek for A and Z. Alpha is the first letter of the alphabet. Z is the last letter of the alphabet. Jesus says, I am the A and the Z and everything in between. And so as I was reading that this week, I was, I, was, I was meditating on who God was, and I realized he's the A to Z. And so I said, man, wouldn't it be a challenge if I could preach in 30 minutes about Jesus, uh, A to Z? Wouldn't it be a challenge for our, for our slide lady, Cassie, back there? Wouldn't it be a challenge for me as a pastor to fit within 30 minutes 26 attributes of God that you could sort of start to get a grasp of who? Because if, if you don't know who God is, if you don't know, you, you, you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know who God is, you're never going to be able to seize the moment when God's standing right in front of you. If you knew who he was, you would ask a lot more. You would ask a lot bigger. So first of all, A, God is awesome. And that's not a theological term. That's just the truth. God is awesome. God is bigger than your imagination. God is greater than you give him credit for. God is awesome. God does things that nobody else can do. God is healed cancer right here in city chapel twice actually in the past two and a half years in the same person's body and and that's just that's just the physical god has opened blind eyes god has raised dead people back to life and god not only has saved people from situations god has walked with people in situations when they lost what they thought they could never live without after they lost it god was still awesome and god was still with them even though they walked through the valley of the shadow of death they are still able to fear no evil because god God is with them and God is awesome. If you never stand at the mountain of God and stand in awe of him, you will always stand in fear before your enemies. You have to understand how awesome God is, how awful God is. I mean, he makes your jaw drop when you start to recognize him, when you start to see him and see all that he's been working together for good to, the, to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You have no option but to stand back and say he is awesome. He is amazing. That's another A word, by the way. I just throw that in there. He is, he is awesome and amazing. He blows your mind. He takes your breath away. He does things that you never imagined that could possibly happen. Doctors said couldn't happen. Scientists said couldn't happen. We don't even, we don't even know what's at the center of the atoms that the protons and neutrons are spinning around. But Colossians says that Jesus holds all things together by the word of his power because he is pretty darn awesome and amazing he's awesome so that's a so that's a and then if we go to b uh, uh this is also not a theological term but he's better he's better than you give him credit for he's better than you pray because <laughs> if you knew how better he was you'd pray better the reason why many of our prayers are so lame, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. What, what is that? That's like, I mean, I mean, it's just nice, you know, I mean, for God to help us sleep, you know, I mean, that's, that's good for God to protect us while we're sleeping. But, but God's bigger than, than like a sleeping pill. Like you can take a pill for that. <laughs> You didn't know that. You can. You can take a pill and it knocks you out. And then you wake up, you know, eight hours later feeling completely knocked out. It's amazing. Uh, but, you, but God is bigger. Oftentimes our prayers are so small because our concept of God is so tiny. We ask him for such little things because we think that he is not as good as he is. If you understood the betterness of Jesus, your prayer life would get better. Your requests would get bigger. That's another word, another B word. It, because he's better. And just to prove that I think that's what Jesus is trying to say in this passage, Jesus parks himself. He meets this lady and he parks himself next to the well. And look what she says. If we can go back to that scripture real quick. I, I know I got to get through an alphabet, but, but just, 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 just bear with me. He says, he, he says to the woman, uh, if you would have knew who the gift of God and if you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Look what the woman says. She says to him, sir, hold up. Dude, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. 
Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater? Are you better? Notice, I, 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 I love this. This lady is such a picture of all of us. I think it's another reason why God didn't give her a name, because her name could be Harry. Her name could be whatever your name is. Because, because she is, in much of her life, we find out as you keep reading, that she's not exactly exclusive with regard to her relationships. She's had five husbands. She's currently living with a guy who's not man enough to put a ring on her finger. And uh, she's not necessarily exclusive She's not exclusive with her relationships. She's not exclusive. And so God didn't show up in her home. Because she's, she's, she's whatever with that. We're just seeing where this goes. She's not exclusive with her relationships. She's not exclusive with her job. She's not exclusive with a lot of things in her life. But, but, but did you know that you will always narrowly define the object of your faith? And you will always get offended when somebody throws shade on your well or the object of your faith. I don't mean actual shade. I mean like, you know, slang for like, you know, dissing your well, like talking bad about your well, like making fun of the spurs. Like that's, that's what I'm talking about. You're like you will always get, <laughs> I just lost some of you right now. You're about to walk out. I, you will always... You, 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 in fact, this is one way to know that you have offended. This is one way to know what the wells are in people's life when they get really sensitive about that topic. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, like you can talk about a lot of stuff. I mean, I mean, and I know as Austinites, we are pretty, we pride ourselves on being open-minded. We're pretty open to a lot of different ideas. But don't you talk about our Tapo Chico, okay? Don't you dare. There's, there's not another mineral water that can equal Tapo Chico. I mean, there's nothing as good as Tapo Chico. I don't know. I don't care where you're at, what you're talking about. I mean, this stuff is good. I, I started drinking it when we were doing our, 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 our fasting because it's water, but it's carbonated. It's awesome. Um, and, uh, and I was like, man, and until so you walk into Walmart, it's always right there, like on the front, you know, so I just buy, buy the boxes and, uh, you, you guys bought us me like a hundred thousand of them and I loaded them up in my trailer. And, and so I, I, I was good. And then recently I went back to Walmart, get some more and I couldn't find it uh, there in the front. Like for some reason they moved it out of the front. I don't know why you'd ever do that, but apparently they did. They moved it out of the front and the front section. And so I, so I'm thinking I'm terrible at grocery stores because I'm a male and they don't make sense to me. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is carbonated water. So it's got to be with the water, right? It's got to be there with the water. So I go back to the water. I'm walking around. There's no Topo Chico. It's water, something, well, it's carbonated. Maybe it's with the soda. So then I go to the soda aisle. It's not there. So I go down to the front and I said, do you know where the Topo Chico is? She's like, oh, yeah, it's in the Hispanic aisle. I'm like, that's racist. What are you talking about? It's for everybody. This is like, this, this ought to be for everybody. And so I'm walking back there and I'm thinking, well, the pastor of City Chapel ought to know what is in the Hispanic aisle. I got to memorize this because like this is like, like, okay, fine. So now I know it's in the Hispanic aisle. But it's good stuff, right? We, but we're always, we're always, it has nothing to do with the alphabet. Just, just nix that, just get rid of that. Uh, back to B. God is, Jesus is better. He parks himself right next to the one spot that she says, wait, there's no other well. There are other husbands, there are other jobs, there are other social circles, but there's no other well around here. You don't have a bucket, you can't draw from it. Are you really saying you're better than my great, 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 grandfather who dug this well? Now, I've been coming here all my life. This thing is constant. Jesus will always show up in the one place in your life that you thought would always be there. The one floor for you that you thought that when everything else was rocked and broken and falling apart, you could go there. You could go to that well because that was always water. That was always refreshing. That was always faithful. Jesus will show up right next to your idol of your well and say, hey, guess what? I'm better than this. I'm better to you than a husband. I'm better to you than a wife. I'm better to you than a child. I'm better to you than ministry. I'm better to you than whatever it is that has always made you feel secure and safe and steady. I am the rock at, the, at rock bottom. I am better than any of these things that you've been relying on. Jesus shows up and he says, I'm better than this well. And, and she, she, she can't even believe it because she's so de defensive about her well. 
we get we get very defensive. And I think I think in, in, in some ways that's that's how denominations were born. Because you think about a well, and I know I got an alphabet to go through, but, but you think about a well, a well is man's attempt to dig down to a God-given resource. Because Jesus doesn't argue with her that this well is awesome. Jesus doesn't argue about Jacob because he was there when Jacob was digging the well. He knows how difficult it was. He knows how much it cost Jacob because all he had was like a little pickaxe and he digs literally like 100 feet through rock in the Middle Eastern sun to find water. Jesus understands, man, this well is pretty awesome and it's been around for a long time and I get it and it's still around today. It's still around today. You go to the Middle East, you can still go to Jacob's well. It says phenomenal. Like 3,000 years later, it's still around. I mean, this is, an amazing, this is an amazing wonder of the world. Jesus isn't arguing with that. But, 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 but look what he says. He, 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 he says to her, she says, are you better than, than Jacob because he poured it for his sons and everything? Jesus answered her and he said, whoever drinks of this water. Notice he's not arguing wells. He's talking about water. Water is what's at the bottom of the well. Water is the point of the well. He says, whoever drinks of this water, let me, let me talk about the water. He says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, that water will become inside of him a fountain of living water. Jesus isn't arguing over wells. <laughs> you got a good well, yeah, you do, but do you have my kind of water? And I think that's what denominations are. Denominations are where the Baptists one day struck water. And they made camp around that well, and this is the well, and this is the best well. And then the Methodists came along, and they struck water. And they, they made camp, and they said, this is our well. And, well, if you're at that well, you go over there. You can't fellowship with us because you're at that well. I'm over here at this well. We're both drinking from the same God-given resource. We're still, we're still drinking from God. We're still finding life in Jesus Christ. And we call it different. We have some different doctrines around, around, around some things. Some of us think Jesus is coming back pre-trip. Some of us are post-trip. Some of us are, don't know uh, what's going on. You know, like, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, all of these different denominations. Even Catholics, man, like, like, like 1,700 years ago, Constantine struck water. And if you still think I'm talking about water, you've got to listen to the podcast. I'm talking about Jesus. Like, they found God in it. They found God in it. But then they idolized the well. And then they said, no, this is the only well, and you have to have this, and you have to have that, and you got to sprinkle this, and you have to do and, and, and they fell in love. They made an idol out of the man-made attempt to get to the water. Instead of focusing on the water, they focused on the well. And Jesus came along and said, no way, I am better than your well. I'm better than your denomination. I'm better than your church. I'm better than your preaching. I'm better than your worship. I'm better than your structure. I am better to you than any possible well because I am the living water of life. I am the thing you're looking for. I am the water at the bottom of the well. If you have me, you, you don't always have to have the same structure to get to me. If you have me, you, then you have what you need. And I'm better. I'm better than that. So B and then C would be, <laughs> would be that God is creative. Jesus is creative. If you knew how creative God was, you wouldn't be afraid to ask him for things that, that don't currently exist. Genesis 1.1 says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the ancient Catholic statement is ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. That's Latin for out of nothing, ex nihilo. God stepped into nothing. God, God was in, in the midst of nothing. And out of nothing, God created everything. If you understood how creative God was and how, what he can do with nothing... <laughs> If you understood what he could do with nothing, you'd stop trying to bring your something to him. He doesn't even like something. Because something, all he can do is something is multiply it. Which means you bring your something and it's kind of mixed in with your attitude <laughs> and your lack of faith and your doubt and all, and, all, and all of your junk. Your something then gets multiplied to the rest of the world. God doesn't want to do that. So when you bring something to him, he says, hold up, let's wait until you have nothing. God will often wait until you bring nothing to him because he can do more with nothing than he can do with your something. Because with nothing, it's not a multiplication. With nothing, it's an addition. He adds himself to your nothing. So something steps into nothing and creates everything out of nothing just simply by stepping into it. 
If you knew who God was, you would start asking him a lot more. You would quit hiding with your nothing behind your back and bringing your something to him. You would let go of your something and bring your nothing because he creates that stuff. He uses that. That's the building blocks of everything. Everything came out of nothing. Everything God created out of nothing. He loves nothing. He collects nothing. He looks for nothing. He is always looking for nothing. He's looking, he's always looking for nothing. The Bible says that he's looking to and fro throughout the earth for someone whose heart is perfect, perfectly aligned, has absolutely no agenda, has absolutely no plans, absolutely no talent, absolutely no potential. He's looking for nothing because when he finds nothing, that's when he shows himself powerful in that nothing. That's when people say, wow, he's awesome. He's, He's better and he's creative. And I only got A, B, and C and I already got 15 minutes to go. And so he's A, B, and C. He's also D, which is dependable. <laughs> you can trust him. You can rely on him. He, he's never, look at, he's never let anybody down in all of human history. He's not going to start with you. You're not that important. <laughs> he should risk his reputation just to mess up your life. He is dependable. He is faithful. He is always there. He is so determined. That's another D word. So determined to present you perfect before his heavenly father that no matter how many detours, that's another D word, you might take along the path of your destiny. Oh, another D word. That God is is dependable to bring you to a place of fulfillment and completion. You can trust him. You can depend on him. He is E. He's everlasting. He has no end. He, 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 he has no end. He has, there's, there's no period at the end of his sentence. There's no, there's no pause at the end of his existence. There is no end. He is everlasting, which means long after the United States government has fallen into anarchy and long after this world has spun itself out of control, long after the sun has burned itself out, God will still be God, God will still be good, and God will still be on the throne. He is everlasting. He's more than the Energizer Bunny. He is everlasting. He is, oh, in other words, eternal. He has no ending. There is no limit to who he is, all of his qualities that we see just a speck, a a minuscule speck of who he is. When we talk about his goodness, we are not even really describing him. We are describing one angle of him, but he is everlasting. In other words, we, we, we will continually in heaven learn about how good he is and learn about how further good he is and f- learn about how further, further, further everlasting this good he is because there will never be an end of the discovery of his everlasting goodness and grace and mercy and truth and justice. He's everlasting. He has no end. He outlasts. All of your problems have an expiration date. (laughs) You might just want to put that on your refrigerator. Your milk has an expiration date and all of your problems have an expiration date. All of your all of your systems, all of our government, all of our all of our election cycles, all everything on this earth has an expiration date. It's all going to get bad and sour and stink one day. It might look really good right now, but all of your relationships have an expiration date. Even your marriage has an expiration date. Jesus said, after death in heaven, we're not going to be married. So the only thing that is everlasting is you and him. You and him forever. You need to get that right. You need if you understood how everlasting he was. You would ask of him and he would give you living water. If you understood, if you got, if you, if you got out of your clickbait culture <laughs> where everything is urgent right now and you forget about it in six weeks. Instant outrage. How? Oh. We're talking about an everlasting God who is patient and he sees you messed up right now, but he has an everlasting perspective. And my grandpa gave his life to Jesus when he was 77 years old on his deathbed when he came conscious for 30 minutes and he's in heaven forever. And God thinks that's worth 77 years of trying to bring him to him because God is everlasting. And God's not concerned about 77, 87, 107 years. He's everlasting. If you understood how everlasting he was, you wouldn't get so depressed about today and tomorrow and yesterday and last week and the past five years. He's everlasting. And he is F. He is our father. 
In fact, the scripture calls him Jesus, the everlasting father. You say, well, I thought the father was the father and Jesus was the son. Well, that's true. But the, the father and the son are one. If you've seen the son, you've seen the father. The father and the son are the same. The father did not create the son. The, that's, that's, that's heresy. The father did not, did not make Jesus. Jesus and the father have always been together in unity for all time and all eternity long before time and space and matter were created. He is the everlasting father. He is F. What comes after F? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Someone's got to sing along for me. He, he's, 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 he's G. So he is, he is grace. Scripture says, by grace are you saved. Well, who are you saved by? You're saved by Jesus. So Jesus is grace. Jesus is also good. Jesus is also great. There's a couple more G words that I could put in there. But grace, by the way, is not the smile of God. Grace is the power of God. God is not coming into your life to sit there and smile at you for the rest of your life. This is my cheesy smile. How you doing? <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> but sometimes I think we get that image of God. Like he's got a permanent. You know, like he's those folks. Like I, I, I cut my teeth preaching in the nursing home, which is why I can preach to you guys when you're falling asleep. Because... Because they literally, actually fall asleep when you're preaching to them. They're, they're either the ones who are, pre, who, are, who are sleeping or the ones who are drooling or doing both. Or the ones who just have a permanent smile. Because they have no idea what's going on. You know, they're, they're just, hey, but, but they're happy. And I'm like, all right, that's how I want to be whenever I lose my mind. I want to be happy. That'd be awesome. But sometimes we think God's like that. Like he says, his permanent smile. If that's your vision of God, you won't ask him to help you with your depression. Because, oh, I, if he's that way, I should be that way. If he's always smiling, I should always be smiling. Your shoulds in your life will always reflect your view of God. Whatever you think God is, that's what you should be. He's always the, the epitome, the, the apex of, of your life. He's the goal. That's another G. He's the goal of your life. And you see him, and if he's always smiling, then you ought to always be smiling, right? No. He's not always smiling. Scripture says sometimes he's weeping. Sometimes he's angry. Sometimes he's laughing. Sometimes he's, he's, he's my favorite, sarcastic. <laughs> he is. He is. He, uh, you know, he spoke through the prophet Elijah to, to, to the other guys who were trying to get their gods to do stuff. And their gods weren't doing anything because their gods weren't real. And so he said, well, maybe your god's on the toilet. Maybe, maybe, he's, maybe he's having a potty break because he's not doing anything. And God's just, God's just making jokes, right? I mean, he's, just, he's roasting these other guys' gods. I mean, that's, like, that's my kind of God. He's not always smiling. You don't always have to be smiling. He is grace, though. He is power. He's not coming to your life to sit and smile at you across the desk. He has come to your life to move mountains out of your life, to kill giants out of your life, to take kingdoms and kings and dethrone everything that rises up against the name of Jesus in your heart and in your mind. And he is mighty and he is powerful to do it. He is grace. Scripture says, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect. My grace is sufficient for you because my power is Grace is there because my power is made perfect. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J. He is uh, holy. This is the, the most referred to title for God in the Bible. More than love, more than faithful, more than good. He is called holy. The angels cry out holy in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. So he's so holy, they had to say it three times just to cover it. They had to repeat. I mean, you get, you get three words to describe God, and you just hit repeat. <laughs> That's how holy he is. Holy means he has never sinned. And it's so important that you know how holy he is. He's never told a lie. He's never, he's never prom made a promise and not fallen through. If you knew how holy he was, if you knew how zealous he was for his reputation, you would ask. And he would give you. He's holy. He's holy. He's, he's, he's a whole, entirely unlike us. He's entirely bigger than us. H-I. He is independent. He's the only one who's independent. You and I are dependent. Even a free bird. Who was it? Was it Billy Joel? 
who said even a free bird is a cage to the, is, is in a cage of the sky isn't is enchained to the sky even a free bird is 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 imprisoned by his own faculties by by the weather and you and i though we are free to walk around and make choices yet we really can't make any choice that we want because we are limited by our capabilities we're not free we are dependent on water we're dependent on food we're dependent on air conditioning we're dependent on facebook not really but sort of we're dependent on on on, on many things even just to exist god is not god is the only one who is actually free he is independent of all of these factors which is why if you knew how independent he was if you knew how sovereign he was that he he creates reality he doesn't work with reality he creates reality. you would ask and he would give you if you knew how independent of all election cycles and all culturally culturally relevant movements and all zeitgeist of the day if you knew how independent god was of everyone's opinion and everyone's feelings and everyone's uh, persuasion if you knew how independent god was he is eternally independent oh and he's also not relying on you which means all the good stuff you could do for him is not necessary you could be a vegetable in the hospital and he would be just he would love you just as much if you couldn't even speak a word on his behalf if you couldn't even think a thought that was worship to him because he doesn't need your worship he doesn't need your service he doesn't need your help he's independent completely independent when you understand how independent he is of everything that you bring to the table and i bring to the table you would ask and he would give because you don't have to have a track record you don't have to have momentum you don't have to have been going good for a week or two it's none of that he's independent of that he doesn't need any of that he's independent he's a each i and then he's j which means he's just he hates injustice. He hates inequality. He hates racism. He hates he hates uh, uh, crime. He hates he hates people who oppress the poor. He is just, and he has promised at the end of the age to align this world with his character, which means he's going to bring ultimate justice. And until he does, he wants to bring ultimate justice inside of you. So that means he hates the injustice that you have towards your neighbor and towards your relatives and towards your in-laws and towards your kids and towards your spouse. He hates the injustice inside of us because he's just. And so he's creating, he's aligning us with his character right here and now. But at, at the end, he's going to align the entire world. But right now, he's trying to bring a people to himself that he can align with his character. Because we love, well, we say we love justice as long as it benefits us. But it's kind of like my kids. As soon as it doesn't, suddenly life is unfair. <laughs> That's not fair. Oh, now we're concerned about fairness. Because when, when I was buying your treats, nobody was counting. <laughs> but as soon as somebody else gets something, suddenly we're keeping track. We don't love justice. We love things that benefit us. God loves justice. God loves to ask you to sacrifice your, your, your American first best lifestyle in order to reach out to widows who are in Rwanda. You want to talk about justice? We want, we want things to be tilted in our, in our favor. We want to have a leg up. We want to have a benefit. We want to thank God that we're so blessed and those poor people aren't. God cares about justice. Not about the American way. He's consumed with the cause of the poor. He's consumed with, with more than half of this world who lives on less than one dollar a day. He is consumed with that. He cares about the oppressed. Oppressed by their own government. Oppressed by their own people. And he wants us to set them free. He cares about justice because he is the king. The K, the king. He is enthroned. This is his kingdom, and he finds himself completely feeling responsible for all of his subjects. He loves them all the same, which brings me to L, he is love. And by love, I don't mean that, that he is loving in his feelings toward everybody, but rather that he is love in that he prioritizes the good of the others. He is always seeking to benefit, not to take from us. 
He's not looking to get something from us. He's looking to give something to us because he is love. And M, he is mercy. If you understood how merciful God was, you wouldn't stop asking forgiveness. You cannot outsin his mercy. You cannot outsin his mercy. You cannot outgrieve his heart and, and remove mercy from him. He is merciful. He's more merciful than your sin. He's more merciful than Hitler's sin. He's more merciful than anyone on the planet's sin. Nobody is excluded from his mercy. He's merciful, L-M-N, and he is N. He is not disappointed in you and in me because he knew what you were when he died for you. And if you knew how not disappointed he is, you would ask, and he would give to you. <laughs> L-M-N-O, he's omnipresent. In other words, he's everywhere at the same time. He's, he's all present. He's everywhere. And P, he's powerful. If you understood the power of God, sometimes, sometimes people tell me, oh, Pastor Harry, I'm trying so hard to trust in God. <laughs> and, and, and I know that that comes from a place of desperation, but, but it also comes from a place of ignorance. It also, if, I, I also could say, if you knew, if you knew who you're talking about, God, what, like, like how many of you drove in today in, in, in a car? Like you, you drove in a vehicle. I know we have a couple of homeless folks, but everybody else drove, right? You drove like some kind of vehicle. Like it must have been so stressful for you because, you know, you get going 70 miles an hour down I-35. And if your wheels fall off, you are going to be, a, your family is going to be a grease spot in the middle of the road. It must have been so stressful because all of that weight, all of that inertia is just carrying on what, five lug nuts on each wheel? I mean, I'm sure when you got out there this morning, you were like, okay, honey, check the lug nuts. Let's make sure the lug nuts are tight on there. And while you're driving, you're like, how's the wheels are wobbling at all? Are any of the wheels wobbling? Kids, watch the wheels. Like, I know it must have been so stressful. Oh, wait, you didn't even think about that? You mean tell me you put your family's life on the line? You didn't even check the lug nuts. I know Richard checked the lug nuts. You didn't even, but most, I didn't check the, you didn't check the lug, you must have a lot of faith. <laughs> but I'm just trying to trust Jesus. I'm trying so hard to trust Jesus. Job, 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 Job wrote about this. Let me, let me tell you just, just real quickly about the power of God in Job chapter 5, verse 8. Job says, as for me, I would rather seek God than trust in lug nuts. And uh, he doesn't say that, but that's, it's in there. It's in the message version. Uh, I would rather seek God. And to God, I would commit my cause because God does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things, things without number. Look what he does. Oh, my goodness. He's amazing. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields now now if you're living in austin that actually is a pretty good thing i mean it's pouring down yesterday i think it's supposed to be raining right now so you might get wet when you go outside but rain is one of those things that we that we it happens so often and yet when you think about it you're in the middle of texas like we are in central texas the middle of a desert basically about 300 miles from the Gulf of Mexico, and yet God gives rain on the earth and sends water onto the fields. I was, I was, I was researching it this week. John Piper did this, did, did, did this whole article about it because, because you see, just for rain, like for, for God to move, this is what God does. God takes water from the Gulf of Mexico, sends it 300 miles to Austin, and dumps it on us, sort of. That's, that's the non-scientific term. Actually, what happens is the sun beats down on the water in the Gulf of Mexico, and, and, and it turns the water into something that's not exactly water. It's called evaporation. And so it turns into vapors. And these vapors become lighter than gravity can hold them, so they start going up into the sky. So water turns into something that's not water so that it can go into the sky. And then at some point it stops in the sky, and there's a scientific term for why it stops. I really don't understand it. But it all stops at the same place. And it gathers around tiny little dust particles that are, that are 0.00001 uh, of a centimeter. That's, that's, that's small, a very small particle. It gathers around these very small particles, and then, and then it, it stays in that place, and it all starts gathering together. 
And these tiny uh, vapors start, start gathering, to, and there's a word, I think it's coalescence for that. And so these, these vapors start moving, and the wind starts blowing and starts moving across 200 miles from the Gulf of Mexico over here to Austin. Meanwhile, there is, it picks up other vapors along the way with these tiny little sand molecules. And also, God has to take the salt out of it because there's salt in the Gulf of Mexico, and salt would kill the crops. So somehow, and there's another term for that, God removes the salt out of the, out of the rain. Well, it's not actually rain. It's not even water. It's vapors. Out of these vapors that, that was used to be water, now it's not water. They, it, but it, it, they're, they're light enough to not be pulled by gravity, but heavy enough to not go up into the stratosphere. And it keeps moving all the way to Austin. By the time it gets to Austin, the sky grows black. It blacks out the sun. You can't even see the sun because of all of these tiny little vapors. And when God drops this stuff, he doesn't drop it. He has to drip it. Because if you drop it, you crush stuff. Because it's 1.6 billion pounds of, of rain to dump on a one, mile, uh, one square mile for, for one inch. So when one inch of rain falls on one mile of land, that's 1.6 billion pounds of rain. And if God dumps that on your car, it's not going to be good. So he drips it. Which means it has to get a little bit heavier, but not a lot bit heavier. It has to get heavy enough to be able to continue to remain water on its way down and light enough, light enough to not crush stuff. And somehow he does it. And he did it yesterday, and it was falling all over your car. And you were like, yeah, yeah, well, I can drive in this because it's wet outside. My, my four-ton truck isn't going to be able to drive on water. It's water. No, like, seriously, you can drive on it. It's okay, Austin. Get on the freeway and go 70 miles an hour. Just do it. You know, live a little. But, you know, it's, but we, 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 we take complete for granted that God is watering the fields. He's watering the, the, the animals. He's watering the humans. He's moving water that's not water, making it water again, and then dribbling it over places so that, so that, so that his, 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 his creation can know his power. That's the point. I think he can handle your situation. Maybe. I mean, it's, it's, it's a long shot. He's not used to heavy lifting, doing big stuff. So it's kind of a long shot. I'm not sure about your job. I mean, he's probably too big for him. But maybe if you understood just a little bit about rain, maybe you would ask. And he would give you. <laughs> he's powerful. He's Q, which means he's, he's asking questions. He's not against questions. He's not threatened by questions. He is actually asking questions. He's always asking questions, not because he doesn't know, because he wants people to start asking questions too. So he's, he's always questioning, and he is our, he is rest. Jesus is rest. If you knew how restful Jesus is, that it's not a place that you labor, it's not a place where you strive to be good enough. Rest, by the way, is different than relaxation. Relaxation is what we in the West do. So we work super hard, we stress ourselves out, and then we crash, right? And we go on a vacation and we turn off our cell phone, don't check our email. We just don't want to do anything. Don't even get the paper. Don't even get the newspaper. We got to get out of our house. We're paying a mortgage for a house that we get out of because the house is too stressful. Because <laughs> it's normal life. Got to get out of normal life. So we get on a boat, we go to the Bahamas, right, for two weeks. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's cool. I love to relax. It's lovely. Kick your feet up, get on the beach. It's lovely. It's wonderful. But it's not rest, it's relaxation. The relaxation speaks to your schedule. You deal with your schedule. You tweak it. You switch it. Problem is, you got to come back to your regular schedule. But rest teaches you how to speak, not to your schedule, but, but to your stress. Rest is how you handle stress. So you can, you can be restful and be busy, but be restful because you've learned how Jesus wants to teach you. If you knew how good he was at handling stress, you would ask and he would give you. QRS, he is sympathetic. <laughs> Hebrews tells us that he is a high priest. That's Jesus is our new high priest who's actually been human like us. And he's been tempted in every single way that we have been tempted. Whatever you've been tempted with, God himself was tempted with it. Literally, everything. He's sympathetic to our cause. He feels that. He knows what it is to be attracted to what you are stuck in, <laughs> which means he can be sympathetic. 
And T, he can be truthful. He speaks truth. He can also be trusted because he is unchanging you, unchanging. He, he, he doesn't change. Here is T-U-V, he is victorious. He's conquered sin, he's conquered death. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. If you knew how victorious he was, you would ask and he would give it. And then W, he is without beginning. He's without beginning. In other words, when he decided to be good, <laughs> there was no moment when he decided to be good. He never turned over a new leaf. He's without beginning. All that he is, he has always been. I talked about how he will always be, but he has actually also always been. Which means, which means that, that long before there was anybody to thank him for being what he is, he was. He's not putting on a show. He's not trying to impress you. Even before the angels were there to worship him, he was worthy. He just was worthy. Even before he started picking up rain and doing all that stuff, he was powerful. Before all of the things that we see came into being, he was exactly enough for all of those things. And he didn't need anybody to pat him on the back. He didn't need anybody to believe in him. He's not looking for your vote. He's not looking for your like on Facebook. He's not looking for a share. He's not, he's, he's, he doesn't mean the world to him. <laughs> I love when people say, it means the world to me. Dude, you got a small world. Like, it's a share on Facebook. Get real. But, but, but it's, it's, not, it's not so big to him because he has always been. Before you and I, before anyone, before anything, before time, space, and matter even existed, God was all by himself, complete in himself, full in himself, worthy in himself, good in himself, powerful in himself, and he didn't need to prove it. He didn't need to show it. When he created the world, it was an overflow of what he's always been. It was the chemistry within the Godhead that had to create brand new life. Which is why when he set up the way babies coming into the world, it's kind of the same thing. That's for another sermon. Because X, he is excellent. And I cheated there. <laughs> Why he is Yahweh. That's the name that he gave Moses. Who should I say sent me? Yahweh sent. Tell him Yahweh. It means the Lord God, the, the personal God, the sovereign God, the God who has come down to dwell with us. The God who is, presently is, eternally is, not will be, not has been, is. He's Yahweh. And finally, he's zealous. He's zealous for his name to be known. Because if you knew who he was, you would ask, and he would give, and you would be satisfied. He's zealous for his name. He's also zealous for you and for me. He's passionate about pursuing us. He's intent, which is why you can't seem to get away from him. <laughs> he keeps showing up in the face of your child. He keeps showing up on your good days and on your bad days. He keeps showing up at the funerals. He keeps showing up. He keeps showing up in, in, in alleys and in, and, 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 and in homeless shelters. He keeps showing up in third world countries and, and in, and in uh, 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 penthouses. He keeps showing up wherever people are hungry, wherever people are desperate. He's zealous to find them, to catch them. And so he's here for you today. Would you bow your head and let's just take a moment.